0: Thanks for tuning in to the Seattle Limudcast. I'm Tamar Libicki. In today's episode, I interview Limood Seattle 2019 presenter Shimon Emlin. This conversation is all about matzah. We discuss the definition of matzah, handmade matzah versus machine-made matzah, model matzah bakeries, the afikoman, and even the spiritual significance of matzah.
1: This bread that we're eating is really, it truly is a symbol. And it's, it's a symbol of faith, it's a symbol of healing, healing both in a physical sense from ailments and also healing from the, the slave mentality that the Jewish people, unfortunately, have had to endure many times throughout history.
0: So, since this podcast, this interview is going to be all about matzah. I thought we'd start out by giving a definition of matzah. What constitutes matzah? What are the rules around it? Could you just describe matzah a little bit?
1: Um, absolutely. There are a lot of rules about the production of matzah. Um, to list all of them would take me longer than the interview, uh, longer than the allotted time for the interview. However, the very basics are matzah is what the torah calls lechem oni bread of poverty and as we say in the Haggadah, we eat this bread because our forefathers as they ran as they fled out of they fled egypt they did not have time for the bread that they made to rise and therefore they ate ugot matzot round cakes of matzah this matzah is made with just flour and water that's why it's poor man's bread, so to say. There's no extra ingredients, and it's baked within a time span of 18 minutes because once the water and the flour meet, um, it can become what's called chametz, or leavened. The the fermentation process begins after that 18-minute cutoff point. This matzah also has a basic element that all of the steps in its production have to be done for the sake of the mitzvah of eating that matzah on the Seder night at the table. And um, and there's a lot more to talk about, but those are the basics.
0: Okay, wonderful. So could you tell us the difference between shmora matzah, a regular kosher for Passover box of matzah you'd buy in the store, and an egg matzah?
1: Absolutely. I, I actually want to start by first mentioning that when a person is preparing for the seder and they go to the store to buy matzahs, they wanna make sure, number one, first and foremost, that the matzah they're buying is kosher for Passover. There are matzahs that look just like the regular square matzahs you buy in the box, and they will have in small letters, sometimes in the corner or on the back or on the side, it says, not for Passover use. Um, It means what it says, it is not for Passover use, there's often a worry, a serious worry, that that matzah is actually chametz, a forbidden product on Passover. So once you've made sure that the box says for Passover use, um, then comes the question of egg matzah and machine shmura matzah and the round shmura matzahs. Uh, There's again a lot to talk about this, but Egg matzah, or any matzah which is produced with an ingredient other than water together with the flour, is called in Hebrew matzah ashira, rich matzah, because it's enriched with other flavors or other other ingredients. There are a lot of questions in Jewish law about whether that could potentially become chametz faster than just water and flour together. And so it's something that we avoid eating on Passover, unless a person has, you know, whatever, there could be certain health conditions, it's easier for them to eat egg matzah and things like that. That's definitely permitted for those people. Then we have the machine matzahs that are kosher for Passover, and we have the handmade round matzahs. And with those, um, although there was a lot of controversy early on in the machine matzah production, nowadays, thankfully, the way the production is done, there is very little worry about... How the process goes, that there could be chametz again, that leavened aspect of the bread, and therefore the question really comes down to, in Hebrew, what we call lishma, or not lishma. Lishma means for the sake of the mitzvah, and like I mentioned earlier, um, round the round, handmade matzahs, different steps of the process must be done for the sake for the sake of the mitzvah, that we are going to eat this matzah to fulfill the mitzvah of eating matzah at at our seder. Um, This includes the rolling, it includes even the, the drawing of the water for the matzah is one of these steps. So in a machine, you could imagine that it's fully automated. These steps are not being done by a human being. How can you have that for the sake of the mitzvah aspect? Of course, the person who initiates the machine process as they press the button or pull the lever, whatever it is, they will say the phrase shame matzos mitzvah, which means for the sake of the matzos of the mitzvah. But there's quite a big debate about whether that's acceptable or not, and there's no consensus really in the end. Um, The only thing I can say for sure is that the tradition is to have the round handmade matzahs. This has been the accepted Jewish tradition, therefore, most people prefer, for the mitzvah of the Seder night at least, to have those handmade round shmora matzahs.
0: So let's talk about the model uh, matzah bakery. Um, When did you start doing that?
1: I started doing the Model Matze Bakery probably six or seven years ago. Hmm. I was really looking for hands-on, fun kids' activities that I could do. You know, I'm a teacher, so I wanted to do it for my classroom. And I also wanted to do it for the broader community and go to different schools and different community settings and be able to bring it to the public and inspire people to eat matzah at the Seder night, inspire them about the idea of the handmade shmura matzahs, which is so specially made for the mitzvah. And, yeah. So were you
0: living in Seattle at the time?
1: Yes, I've lived here for eight years.
0: Okay. And did you go to like a model matzah bakery training, or did you watch a video? How did you learn to set it up the way you do?
1: Well, (laughs) I did volunteer in an actual matzo bakery in Crown Heights, Brooklyn. Um, I volunteered there. This is a very common thing. A lot of yeshiva boys will go and they'll volunteer the time to do a shift at the bakery and see how it works for themselves. And And so I did that several times while I was in the area of, uh, of New York. And I really appreciated that. So I had an idea of how the whole process goes and I had learned about it as well. And in addition to that, so when I came to Seattle, I had never seen a model bakery redone other than the one that I do myself. At the time when I was doing it, I, did, I wasn't aware of any videos. I'm sh- I know that there are and there were available now, but it's, you know, in hindsight, <laughs> I didn't know then. Um, but I, I can give, you know, a lot of credit to a few people. One of them I can name is um, Rabbi Kafka who provided me with a lot of the equipment so that I could be able to do the, the bakery. They had one in Seattle many years earlier, and he helped me to to get the equipment. And other people who I spoke to, I don't remember the names, I apologize, who uh, walked me through the process and described to me how they did it, and I added a little bit of my own spice.
0: That's wonderful. So do you think you could tell us about your process and step-by-step step how you do that?
1: Sure. So this is uh, just to, as a disclaimer. This is not... A real matzah, ma- matzah bakery. The matzah that I make in the model matzah bakery is actually chametz. That's number one. So, <laughs> so if any kids are coming to the matzah bakery, they should definitely make sure to eat their matzah before Passover, because <laughs> it's not really matzah. It's it's just a model matzah bakery. Um, we have a group of kids or adults or maybe a mix, and they come and I show them stalks of wheat. The stalks of wheat is you know what we've uh, what we've har- harvested from the field. And uh, we, I, you know, I have a few jokes that I won't share over here because I don't want to spoil the fun if you come. <laughs> but uh, in general, I show them the stalks the wheat. We separate the stems from the seeds. We rub the seeds to get the, you know, to, to break the seeds free of the shell around them. And uh, we do winnowing or we blow on the seeds or throw them up into the air in front of a fan also. And then I have grinders. The, the students or the kids come and they take turns grinding the wheat into a flour. We have a sifting process, and then we have uh, two booths, similar to in a real matzo bakery. One booth is the flour booth, one booth is the water booth, and in the middle is a station where I have a large steel bowl, and um, we're ready to mix the flour and the water. So the mixer is in the middle, the person who's going the, the kneader, excuse me, is the, is in the middle, he's ready to knead the dome. We have uh, we have the separate booths where the, the flower person pretends to open the window for the flour, pour the flour in the bowl, then they pretend to close the window that doesn't exist. And then we have the water person pretends to open their window, they pour the water on top of the flour and close their window. And uh, the kneader begins the kneading process, making it into a ball of dough. The kids at that point are dispersed to various tables where I have rolling pins lined up for them, ready to to roll out the dough. The dough is then cut into small pieces and distributed to the children who are going to roll it out through volunteers or by myself and they, they do their best to roll it out. We have a little song we sing when we roll it out, and then eventually they bring it over to my my burning hot matza oven, which is really a pizza oven, shh, don't tell anybody. <laughs> and um, and we cook the matzas. So in the meantime, while we're waiting for the matzahs to cook, usually I have somebody helping me to man the oven. Um, and when the matzahs are done cook, uh, w- while they're cooking, I have a story that I tell, or a number of different stories and the kids come away with uh, their baker's hat and with a matzah inside of it, and uh, hopefully they go home happy and inspired to eat matzah on Passover.
0: I watched a few videos, Model Matzah Bakery videos and matzah making videos, and um, different places have different ways of poking the holes in the matzah, Um, so how do you do that in the Model Matzah Bakery?
1: Thank you for reminding me, I forgot to mention that part. Um, An important part of any matzah bakery is the poking of the holes in the matzah. And we have, um, I have a few metal rollers and I also have a few plastic rollers. It's just a a roller which pokes the holes in the matzah and usually this is a tricky part of the process because often the dough gets stuck into the roller. Um, That's why in the real matzah bakeries they take a lot of care to clean out those rollers with all sorts of different methods. We're less careful about that in my matzah bakery, <laughs> because it's not real matzah. But, but still, it's, we usually have an adult helping the kids.
0: Why do we poke holes in the matzah?
1: Great question. We poke holes as an extra precaution to make sure that the matzah doesn't rise in the oven, especially we don't want bubbles in a matzah. A, a large bubble in a matzah could be considered chametz because the inside might not get the heat from the oven properly to, to cook it.
0: Interesting. Um, so I know you don't want to give away all the jokes and all the stories, but could you maybe tell us one story that you tell the kids while you're waiting for the matzahs to bake?
1: So I'm going to apologize in advance that usually I look up the stories and I find the names of the people involved because I try to I try to tell true stories. And this one, I'm not remembering the names of the people involved. So I'm not going to say any names just to make sure that I don't mix them up with the wrong people. Um, so there is a story that. In Europe, of course, matzah production was very challenging for the Jewish people. I'm sure it was challenging elsewhere, but, but definitely in Europe there was a lot of different times in the history where there were crackdowns in Jewish bakeries or matzah bakeries in particular, especially because of blood libels, and there were often only a handful of matzah bakeries that were allowed to run and to produce matzahs. In this particular story, there was one matzah bakery for a large area which served many communities of Jewish people. And so that year it was decided by the people who ran the bakery that people were only going to get 3 matzas per family for their Seder because they couldn't they simply couldn't produce more and it would be unfair to give a large amount to one person and somebody else wouldn't get it all. So that's that's how it worked. People would come to the bakery and they would distribute 3 matzas at a time and one person came who was the son of a very prominent rabbi. I believe it was, I believe it was a uh, chassidic rebbe. Uh, and uh, he came and he says, "My father demands that we get six matzahs." And the person running the bakery says, "You know, I know your father's a great man, but I simply can't do it. It's not fair. It's you know, there are other people who need, and I I can't give him six matzahs." And uh, the young man said again, "My father insisted we must have six matzahs." And again, he told him, I, I really can't do it. It's not fair to the other people. It's, you know, as great as your father is, still it's not appropriate. And he says, no, I will not leave here until you give me six matzas. Finally, after a long argument, the matzah owner, the matzah bakery owner caved, and he gave the young man six matzahs. After some time passed, it was getting very close to Passover, and uh, it was the eve of Passover, in fact, and the young man returns. And the owner of the matzah bakery says, what now? I don't have any more matzahs. We're all out. And he says, no, no, no. I wanted to see, my father wants to know, do you have any matzahs for yourself? And the bakery owner says, no, I gave everything away. He says, that's why my father took six. These three are for you.
0: So you've talked a lot about the model matzah bakery being for kids. Mm
1: -hmm.
0: Do you ever have any model matzah bakeries for adults?
1: Yes, yeah. Often we have a mix of kids and adults, which is, of course, great. But I have done the model matzah bakery exclusively for adults and also exclusively for kids. It works for everyone. It's fun.
0: (laughs) Yeah, it's fun. Um, Which kind of leads me to the question that I think having a hands-on aspect to education is so important. Absolutely. Because it engages another part of the mind and it really gets people involved and loving it. What do you think as a teacher? You teach kind of classroom style, you've taught model matzah bakery. What do you think is special about getting each kid rolling his or her own matzah?
1: We learn through acting things out. I mean, it, any teacher and probably any parent can tell you as well that kids want to take a part in what they're learning. So that that could mean reading, it could mean acting it out in a play, it could mean it, it, taking a leadership position in the classroom and of course hands-on experiences are very inspiring and every kid loves to be a part of a part of the action so this is a wonderful this is a wonderful way to engage kids in this and they learn a ton about matzas about passover and they don't even know that they're learning. <laughs> so on one hand, it's important the kids should know that they are learning and they should appreciate the, the, the effort that they put in their learning. On the other hand, our goal is really to inspire and get kids really excited about Passover. And this is, I think, the best way to do it.
0: So to preface this question, this episode will probably air next Thursday or Friday. Mm. Will there be any model matzah bakeries that people can go to in the last week before Pesach?
1: Yes, there will be model matzah bakeries the last week before Pesach, quite a few actually. There are okay. two potential model, model matzah bakeries on the Sunday before Passover. Mm. I believe there will be another one on Tuesday in the afternoon in Ballard. Mm. And in on Wednesday, there will be a model matzah bakery in the morning in Issaquah and another one in the afternoon on Mercer Island. Yes,
0: It's wonderful that you can spread them out in the region, so lots of different people can come.
1: I'll just mention it's very stressful to clean out my car from <laughs> all the hummets of the matzah bakery just a couple of days before Passover. <laughs> yeah. so, but I, st- I, st- I still really enjoy it. It's worth it.
0: So I was wondering, what is your personal history with Pesach? Do you look forward to it? Do you dread it? Does it have special memories for you? And what is your relationship to matzah?
1: That's a great and a very complicated question. <laughs> That's true. <laughs> um, I grew up in a in a fairly secular family. I love my parents very, very much. They're wonderful, wonderful people, and um, they have helped me throughout the years in many different ways. And they're also very supportive. Um, when I was growing up, our Passover experience was was very different than the way I do it with my family. And I'm always happy for my parents to join us and participate now. They're very easy going with it, and we have a great time. I really look forward to Passover. Throughout the years, uh, my wife and I have learned techniques in cleaning for Passover, which make things much less stressful. We do a lot of work very early in advance, so that's not as, not as stressful, not as challenging. And then when it comes to the Seder nights, our kids are you know, well prepared by their teachers and they are excited for the Seder nights. They hopefully took a nap earlier in the day, they have some energy and they're alert. And it's really very, very special to sit around the table with guests and with my own children and to you know, just take in the Passover spirit in the, way that, you know, in the way that we do.
0: So the start of the Magid section in the Haggadah Um, which is when we actually, you know, sit down, start talking, start asking questions, all that starts with Magid. And it starts with Halach And I'll just read it in English because I think it's like such a beautiful section. This is the bread of affliction that our ancestors ate in the land of Egypt. All those who are hungry, let them enter and eat. All those in need, let them come and celebrate the Passover. Now we are here next year in the land of Israel. This year we are enslaved, next year we will be free. It's such a powerful section. It has so many, like, just the range of human emotion, like freedom, enslavement, history, looking towards the future, it's like all jammed into this paragraph and it all starts with matzah. And that kind of brings me to the idea that matzah is such a rich symbol that it's come to represent so much. So I was wondering if you could just address a few of those stories, parables, ideas that are represented by matzah.
1: Yeah, well, first and foremost, we have a source from the Zohar, the book of Kabbalah, the classic book of Kabbalah, which tells us that matzah gets two titles on Passover. Um, I'll say it first in Aramaic, and then I'll translate it in English. It's Mechla de Meheimenusa, which means the bread of faith. And mechla da'asvasa, which means the food of healing. Two very important aspects of matzah. It is a food of faith and it's a food of healing. As you mentioned, we say in the beginning of that passage, this is the bread of affliction or the bread of poverty that our, our ancestors ate. Why don't we say this is like the bread that they ate? Why is it? It's not true what we're saying. This is the bread. It's not the bread. That would be very stale and probably moldy (laughs) if it was 3,331 years. I think that's how long ago it was. (laughs) It's not the same bread, but it's really setting the tone for the entire Seder night experience that we are reliving the whole story. And the bread is a symbol. Um, There is a book called the Sefer HaChinuch. And um, it's a book of mitzvahs. It lists the mitzvahs and describes the reasons behind them. And about Passover, it says that there are... Passover teaches us that through our actions, through the things that we do to enact the story of Passover, we can be inspired and we can be, we can ignite the imagination to relive those events. Our hearts are drawn after our actions. Um, in Hebrew, acharei <speaking in Hebrew> nimshachim and so this, is, this, this bread that we're eating is really, it's truly is a symbol. And it's, it's a symbol of faith. It's a symbol of healing, healing both in a physical sense from ailments and also healing from the, the slave mentality that the Jewish people, unfortunately, have had to endure many times throughout history. And matzah, in a certain way, you can, you can liken it to medicine. You know, a person takes a, a pill and the pill has a certain design or it's in a capsule, a gel cap, or whatever it is. And on the outside you see, you know, you see the gel cap, or you see the design or the color, and inside is the medicine. The matzah is like that is like that that capsule. On the outside you see flour and water baked into a large round cracker. Um, <laughs> but on the inside of it there's a there is a godly energy, a spiritual vitality, which we take into ourselves during the seder, seder night when we eat it at the right time at our at our Seder meal.
0: There's also a famous idea about chametz representing the ego. Yes. And matzah being sort of a deflation of the ego or representing humility. I wonder if you could speak to that.
1: Absolutely. Um, so as a person could probably imagine, when you have chametz, when you have a loaf of bread, It's literally, quite literally, full of hot air. (laughs) Uh, The fermentation process begins, in fact, there are things that uh, many teachers do with their classes. I haven't done it yet this year, I'm hoping to. um, Where they'll put flour and yeast and water inside of a a giant soda bottle and put a balloon on the top, and the balloon inflates, because it produces air. And that's what hametz is. It represents a person's haughtiness, a person's arrogance, and on Passover, we, we really want to be flat. We want to be humble like a matzah. That's, that's a very basic idea, especially in, in Hasidic thinking, about the difference between chametz and matzah. One other point to make about this, we have a little, you know, the little voice, so to say, in the back of our head. And sometimes the voice tells us, you know, it leads us in a, in a good way, and sometimes it leads us in the opposite of a good way. And we want to make sure that we are using our humility as a safeguard against going down the wrong path. You can see so many countless examples of people who they get caught when they're doing something wrong. And because they ha- they feel like they have to defend themselves, they have to defend their own personal honor, they'll make up a lie or they'll try to, you know, bend the truth, so to say, or they'll, they'll make up excuses, blame other people. And it's, you know, why couldn't they just accept what happened? if they were humble, if they knew that, you know, it's not all about my personal pride, it's about what's right and what's good and what's, you know, what's holy. That's what's important. My personal pride is, you know, it's nice if I have some pride, it's nice, it's, you know, if I don't, I'll live without it. That's, that would save us from a lot of trouble. And so this, this matzah, of being flat and being humble, is in, it's an indication for us for the whole year. In fact, the Arizal, Another famous uh, Kabbalistic author writes that if a person is careful to eliminate chametz from their house and to make sure they don't have any chametz in their possession, of course not to eat it, then they will be protected from doing a sin throughout the year to come. Now that's a pretty bold statement to make, right? But that's, that's one of the reasons why people go crazy cleaning their house for Passover.
0: So a lot of people comment about how Pesach comes right after Purim, mm-hmm and how Purim can often have abundant amounts of khamid. Um The most adored form would be the hamantaschen, but all the different cookies and, you know, it's sort of a holiday of celebration and excess, followed by a holiday of humility and contemplation. <laughs> so I was wondering, What are the different messages for a person's character that Purim, next to Pesach, brings to us?
1: You know, I really love that question. I really do, and I'll tell you why. Because, just to, to preface the answer, Purim is the end of the year, and Pesach is the beginning of the year. We don't think about it that way. Usually we think Rosh Hashanah, that's the beginning of the year, that's the head of the year. But in the Hebrew calendar of months, Nisan, which is the holiday which Pesach is in, that's the first month. Purim is the 12th or like a year like this one, it's the 13th month of the year. So Purim is the end and Pesach is the beginning. And it's a cycle, the whole world is a cycle you know, the matzah is round. One of the many reasons that people have given to the roundness of the matzah is to show the cycle of life and the cycle of rebirth throughout the history of the Jewish people. But the year is a cycle as well. And we begin and then we come to an end. Chometz is not bad. Chometz, it's not allowed on Passover, right? It doesn't mean that Chometz the whole year round is bad. In fact, going back to our discussion about humility or arrogance, you know, even arrogance... Of course it's not considered a good thing at all, but it could have a positive aspect to it. On one hand, a person needs to be very humble. On the other hand, as we say in Yiddish, you can't be a shmata, right? You can't let people walk all over you and throw you in the dirty water. A person has to be, they have to be proud of the Jew that they are, they have to be proud of the person that they are, and that will lead them to accomplishment in the world. However, we start the year with a measure of humility. We start the very first holiday in the Jewish calendar, which is Passover, is a holiday which reminds us that we start with absolute and complete humility. First we have to, so to say, rid ourselves of all identity, and then when we come from a place of pure humility, gratefulness to God, to Hashem, for what He gives us, then we can step back into that identity and use it throughout the year. When we come time for Purim, hopefully, we've used our identity and our pride and all the good things that we have and that we can bring to the world, we've perfected that. And now we're ready to celebrate an incredible holiday with lots of chametz and lots of hamantaschen and and with incredible joy. And as soon as we've accomplished that, that excitement of Purim, we're ready to go back to the beginning of the cycle where we humble ourselves again and start anew.
0: So could you tell me a little bit about the Afikoman?
1: Sure. Um, the afikomen is the very end of the Seder meal. And uh, the Jewish law states that after afikomen we shouldn't eat or even drink anything aside from the last two cups of wine. It's to, so to say, let the taste of the mitzvah of matzah linger in our mouths um, throughout the night. And of course, Throughout the night is an allusion, of course, to the rest of the year. We want the taste of the matzah, the taste of the bread of faith, the bread of healing, the taste of the humility to linger throughout the year. That's the that's the afikoman. Afikoman literally means it's two words: afiku man. Bring out the food. <laughs> but it, it was it was you know it was like the the conclusion of the meal, the dessert. It's like a dessert. So some people have ice cream for dessert. Some people have matzah crackers. <laughs> but the Avikomen is the end. It also, it, um, in a certain way, symbolizes the Paschal sacrifice, the mm-hmm. Paschal lamb sacrifice. And that's why we are many people are careful to eat it before Jewish midnight. You have to look up exactly what that <laughs> time is. But uh, we are careful to eat it before then in remembrance that that sacrifice was also eaten before, before Jewish midnight.
0: Okay, last question. Mm-hmm. So this has to do with a word that's one letter off of matzah and also a representation of humility, which is Moshe. Moshe was, perhaps you could say, the second main character in the Exodus, but is not mentioned in the Haggadah. Why is that?
1: Yes, Um, some people actually say that the author of the Haggadah was Moshe. And in his extreme humility, He didn't mention himself. (laughs) We do find, I don't remember exactly where it is at the moment, but there is Moshe's, the mention of his name once um, in the Haggadah. It's kind of stuck in there, a place you don't (laughs) notice it very much. But yeah, you're right, Moshe is a major character in the story of the exodus of the Jewish people coming out of Egypt, and you don't find him in the Haggadah. And who am I to say why he's not mentioned in the Haggadah? There are many reasons given, but I think that we could say his humility is one good reason.
0: Great. Well, thank you so much. A pleasure. The Seattle-ly Moodcast was recorded at Full Track Productions in Seattle, Washington. It was produced by Dave Dintenfass and Tamar Libicki, with original music by Sergi Feldman. Thanks again to our guest, Shimon Emlin, who is a teacher at and proud parent of students at MMSC Day School in Seattle.